0: More than 1,600 civilian lives have been lost as a direct result of the thousands of UK, US and French air and artillery strikes in the coalition's military campaign from June to October of 2017 in Raqqa, Syria. But the coalition forces continue to refuse responsibility. Hi, welcome to The Zada Show. I am Naska Zada. On this tragic topic, we will interview Donatila Rovira. She's the Senior Crisis Response Advisor at Amnesty International, investigating war crimes and abuses in conflicts and crises. Welcome to the show. I am really devastated when I saw this um, report this morning, and you probably can tell us a little bit more about the report because you are closely involved with, then we're gonna talk about how uh, the forces, coalition forces, they're not taking responsibilities. But I personally, I don't know, I see just 1,600 people in Raqqa, you have to know that's a small area compared to, it's not even in one country, just in 2017, in a small area.
1: Yes, in the space of four months, that is the, the, the duration of the military operation by the coalition forces were four months and one week. And in that period, um, these civilians were killed in a situation where the coalition forces, uh, the countries that carried out these strikes are the best equipped and most well resourced military forces in the world. And therefore there was a lot that they could and should have done to minimize civilian casualties. We know that it's not always possible to avoid civilian casualties completely, but it certainly, there was a lot that the coalition forces could and should have done to minimize civilian harm, and they didn't do that. And now, the 18 months after the military operation finished, they're still refusing to investigate, to admit responsibility, to provide reparation to those who have lost their loved ones, their homes, their livelihood, and everything. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, before we go to uh, you know, why they're refusing, which is completely not taking responsibility uh, for their actions, I, wanna, I want you to talk to me about how and should have. How could they have stopped or eliminated the lives of those innocent people? It seems like they've been victims, you know, civilians, really victims in, in the conflict they're they trapped in.
1: A lot of civilians were unable to escape Raqqa when the military campaign started because the Islamic State group was preventing civilians from leaving. But we all knew that, and we knew that before the military campaign happened. The coalition was refusing to admit that there were a lot of civilians still left in Raqqa. It was underestimating the civilian presence in Raqqa. And the kind of munitions, the kind of weapons that the coalition chose to use in Raqqa contributed to a very large extent to the very high civilian casualties. For example, U.S. Marines said themselves that they used more artillery in Raqqa than they had ever used at any time, anywhere since the Vietnam War. This is not something that the US Marines should be proud of because artillery is a weapon that is made for the battlefield. It shouldn't be used in a city around civilians. Mm -hmm. And similarly with the air delivered munitions with the aerial bombardments, coalition chose to use very large a wide impact radius, uh, bombs that were taking out big buildings um, rather than using more sophisticated, more expensive and more labor intensive munitions that have a smaller impact radius that still allow the forces to achieve their military objective but constitute less danger for civilians. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of the artillery, which is completely Uh, unacceptable to use in in civilian areas. It's a very cheap type of weapon, but it has a very high cost for civilians. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And then do they, I don't know about war zone, like when you investigated that, do they let the civilians know that there's a military campaign Will happen in that area? Were they like the civilians informed? But then where do you go if even if you are informed when you're in Syria?
1: Um, I mean, civilians knew when the military campaign started because, you know, because the bombardment started. Um, people couldn't escape Raqqa. Um, you know, those who were able to pay smugglers to get them out. But um, Otherwise, it was incredibly difficult and very dangerous because ISIS, the Islamic State group, had mined the escape routes. Uh, Most people who got out of Raqqa got out through the river. But even on that, coalition forces were bombing the boats on the river, Uh, the general commanding officer of the coalition forces, General Townsend, said, you know, we will bomb every boat that we see on the river. Mm. Again, presuming that every boat on the river was full of fighters Mm. and underestimating the fact that the civilians had very few options to leave the city and that their best chance was through the river. And people had to take boats because the coalition had bombed the bridges. So there was no bridges that were, um, that were usable anymore. So there was a, a, a lot that the coalition could and should have done, and, and it failed to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about... So coalition had a goal to kill terrorist ISIS. that's why they started the campaign it's obvious do they have a number and do you think that number even close to the civilians or do they mix civilians death as if like count them as a you know ISIS fighters and all how how does it work I, I I'm not familiar of like counting when you are in a war zone like that
1: uh, we haven't seen the coalition giving any specific figures for the number of combatants that they think they, they have killed. Um, they have only admitted uh, a small number of the civilian casualties, about 10% of the numbers of civilians that they have killed. And even that 10% overwhelmingly These are cases that Amnesty International and Air Wars have investigated and have submitted to the coalition. So in a way, we've been doing the job of the coalition because the coalition hasn't been doing its job. So we've been investigating cases and bringing them to their attention. But really, that's what they should be doing, because if they bomb the place, they should be investigating the impact of their bombardments on the civilian population so that they can learn lessons and avoid repeating the same mistake mm-hmm. next time in, in whatever other conflict their military forces are engaged, and also so that they can then move to the next stage and provide reparation for these families who have been um, affected in such a tragic manner for. You know by this military operation
0: well two things why they don't want to take responsibility when you guys reach out to them and you have a report an investigation and two it just it's it's you cannot understand why they wouldn't you know what what's their response when you reach like your organization or any other organization have an important report like you say Well, they already did. You caused so many deaths that we cannot bring back. But you're supposed to learn from that because it seems like they're going to continue bombing places. It's like uh, the least you can do to learn from it.
1: Um, Yes. I mean, the coalition did accept responsibility for most of the civilian casualties that we investigated and published last year. That was a small sample. Uh, we then urge them to investigate, mm-hmm. and they didn't. So I presume that they will accept responsibility for quite a lot of the cases that we have published today. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that they should not wait for us to investigate mm-hmm. in their place. And uh, secondly, they then, you know, they they really need to um, come clean and and be transparent about. Why? Because even in the cases where they have accepted responsibility, they have not provided any explanation. So, you know, there can be many reasons. It can be human error, poor intelligence. It can be weapons malfunction or it could have been negligence. And it's important to establish why in each case what went wrong, because obviously if entire families were killed in their homes, Mm Uh, it's because something major has gone wrong. And so we need to have some explanations um, and establish what was the cause yeah. uh, of that particular incident. And And that needs to be done in every case. Um, clearly, the coalition is unwilling to take responsibility because it has legal implication. It has financial implication. I think it's as simple as that.
0: Um, well, it doesn't sound really simple, but... You might be right, it's very unfortunate, but then they don't they have like a division of you start a war campaign or like bombing campaign? I am not in military personally, I don't know, but don't you supposed to have any any project, simple project you do, you're going to have um, afterwards. You're going to evaluate what happened. Like I'm surprised, like I'm in shock that a military campaign like that, coalition like that don't have department they actually and being some somehow decent or honest with with themselves because you know you're taking lives you have a war you know a campaign like that it's just like beyond my understanding i don't know but you do that almost every day as part of your job
1: um, they do have a department that is supposed to investigate and they say they investigate but for example they don't go on the ground, um, I spent a lot of time in Raqqa and interviewed hundreds of people and visited hundreds of uh, coalition strikes. The coalition doesn't do this. They do go to Raqqa because they go and meet with their local military partners, but they do not go and visit the sites that they've bombed and they do not interview the survivors and the witnesses. So there is a problem of you know flawed methodology and uh, no proper investment in carrying out proper investigation. Um, So, you know, they do have a department, it just doesn't do a good enough job.
0: Um, And I know you cannot, probably you might not respond to that, but you've been inside Syria, do you feel like there's certain, because so many people involved in governments and groups, it's impossible to even think about who's who or know who's who, do you think one group is more responsible than another? Is it like the Assad um, government, or is it coalition? Is it like? Do you, do you have an opinion, or you cannot share that opinion?
1: I don't think it's about opinion, and and you know, I mean, I'm an investigator, mm-hmm. so I don't sort of uh, work with uh, with the speculation and opinion. I work with facts, and it is a fact that the Syrian conflict is very multidimensional and multi-layered, and there are many players involved in different parts of Syria. So uh, in in the case of Raqqa, it's the, the party that has been involved in the military campaign has been the coalition against uh, the uh, Islamic State groups. In other parts of Syria it's been Syrian government forces with the support uh, and the active participation of Russia that have been bombing uh, civilians indiscriminately. And at the same time, there have been many uh, local armed groups, not just Islamic State, but Jabhat al-Nusra and many others that have been committing very serious abuses, including war crimes against civilians. So there are many different players uh, that are involved in different parts of Syria. Uh, so it's not, it's not a homogeneous situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and um, we can say that there are no good guys. There are different degrees of, um, of different actors that are committing uh, very serious abuses against civilians. Uh, including war crimes, and that includes all the the parties, the armed groups, the Syrian government, the um, Russian government, and and forces that have been participating, the coalition in in um, in the places where they have been uh, uh, carrying out their operations, such Raqqa. Um, the, the the big losers are the civilian population. Okay.
0: And I have to agree with that because um, it was like seven years ago at the beginning of the war in Syria, um, civilians were victims. And we all knew if it continues, this is going to be, um, it continues that we, we see civilians being the victim. I want to talk about in the U.S., um, I know you are in U.K., the hot topic right now is is ISIS defeated or not? So you talk to Republicans, they're like, ISIS is defeated, we won. It's over, and Trump, and you talk to Democrats, they're like, oh, it's not defeated. ISIS still, still active in so many places, blah, blah. Your opinion, because you've been covering, investigating in the area, and you probably know ISIS more than those people in Washington, D.C. They even just don't know how to pronounce the name.
1: Um, I think it's um, ISIS has been territorially defeated. That is to say that ISIS no longer controls territory as it did um, to a large extent in 2014-15 and less and less since then. Uh, but it did control some territory until very recently. It no longer does. But that doesn't mean that... Um, Members of ISIS, uh, armed members of ISIS, are not around. They are. Uh, how many there are, I don't think anybody knows. But it's, um, but you know, it's that's not gone away. Um, so it's um, it's the, the territorial defeat is one thing, and uh, the continued existence of uh, groups is, is another. Um, and and those things are coexisting, those two realities. Yes. So, you know, there are still ISIS fighters, and it's not just ISIS. There are many other groups um, which are equally problematic mm-hmm. in terms I mean, of, you know, the risk that they pose for civilians.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I agree with you because ISIS is just the international name we know. But when we go to the region, you go to Syria, you go to Iraq, there are other extremist groups that yes. they, they exist only locals know and they're not popular on international media or you know they are but not exposed. groups
1: are well known even at the international level there are you know there are just in Syria there are hundreds of different uh, militant groups.
0: Why um, do you think we focus on Isis so much then if there's so many other groups that, influencing how Syria's political situation gonna go, then why we focused on ISIS only? I just, I I would like to know.
1: I think it, I I think, you know, the reason why there was so much focus on ISIS was because ISIS uh, for a time um, was controlling more territory than any other armed groups and was committing crimes on an enormous scale, which it wasn't even trying to hide. It was, you know, very open about the, war crimes and crimes against community that it was committing. Um, ISIS was a phenomenon on a very significant scale, so the international focus that was on ISIS is un- completely understandable, of course. Uh, there are also other groups, but ISIS was, for a time, the group that had most control of territory uh, in the area compared to any other armed group. That is no longer the case, but that was the case for a significant period of time. Mm -hmm.
0: And also some people forget how ISIS is ideology, like I think you mentioned that, which is so important if you want to deal with it or find solution to extremism. That's something we often forget because the territory doesn't exist doesn't mean the ideology is not there and they're not going to continue in different ways. We've been talking about Raqqa a lot and ISIS. I want you to give us an idea about the rest of Syria. What you've seen, investigated, something that you can share with us. I know you take pictures that when I see, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is you know a country. It's, it's, it looks completely flattened and lots of the pictures you show us or other journalists inside Syria, it's devastating to even see that picture. And I want to know your experience, even you know how when you are there.
1: Um, I've worked in different parts of Syria. Um, at the moment, um, we have no longer access to most of Syria. Uh, the areas that are controlled by the Syrian governments, we have no access uh, at the moment. Uh, and other areas that are controlled by certain rebel groups, we also have no access. So um, I s- spent time working in Syria uh, some years ago, um, other than the area in the north, uh, in Raqqa, where I've been working more recently. But in other parts of Syria, it's not been possible to work. There, are, there is a large very large amount of destruction in Syria in different parts, from, you know, places like Homs in the south to places like Aleppo and ez in the north, um, and then of course places like, like Raqqa, and those who have carried out that destruction are different, um, different parties in, in different parts of the country. Uh, so it's it's difficult to talk in general because the reality is very local and there are local dynamics, um, uh, both in terms of the level of destruction. In some parts of Syria, in some parts of certain cities, uh, you know, even if you take a city like Aleppo, which is half destroyed and the other half life is absolutely normal even during the war uh, the part of aleppo that was under government control there was not very much happening whereas the 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 other half of aleppo was being bombed every day into oblivion so it can be it can be dramatically different, you know, even within the same city. At the moment, we're seeing a lot of government forces bombarding parts of uh, northern Syria, the areas of Syria that are under rebel control in the Idlib uh, area, uh, the city, the countryside, all the way uh, down towards Hama. Um, Other parts of Syria are Uh, peaceful at the moment there is no armed conflict Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't other problems including very serious repression so it really depends um, which area you're you're looking at
0: okay if we can talk about solutions and you know Syria as I mentioned if, if you can give us maybe top solutions it comes to you when you think about Syrian conflict when you look at Syrian conflict um, you know the region, you know the country now, and you know the conflict. What do you think? What would you give us?
1: I think that you know it requires uh, different solutions for different problems. So it, you know in in different parts of Syria, there are different challenges, depending on who the actors are in those particular uh, in those particular areas. And so the solution depends to a large extent on you know on the problem. Um, There are obviously political solutions that are somebody else's job to discuss, not mine. I'm a human rights investigator. So um, our concern um, is for whoever is the party that holds power in a given part of the country um, is to pressure them to behave in a way... Um, that respects human rights of the civilian population, regardless of whatever political choice, political system um, is in place, or who the political actor are. It is not our job to advise who should be in power, but rather how they should behave towards the civilian population, regardless of you know who they are.
0: So if you can give them advice, let's say the coalition department or the responsible for Raqqa, and they listen and you give them advice, what advice would you give them? Top advice that they can they can use and they're like, oh, we didn't know. I'm sure they know. But what would you say?
1: I mean, obviously, right now, the coalition is no longer there. In so far as the coalition is concerned, they've carried out their military operation and that ended and um, they um, they you know they are not running uh, Raqqa so they are not um, I you know believe they're not seeking any advice for what they should do now there is a lot that they should do to follow up on the consequences of the military operation that they have carried out but Raqqa is you know being run by other people
0: mm-hmm. Donatila Ravira thank you so much. Thank you. appreciate your um, interview. I know it's a late. Uh, I had one more question actually before you go. I know you are you in London, um, UK. Uh, I wanna end the show with a light note. Are you coffee or tea drinker? Like what, which one is your favorite?
1: Uh, I don't drink coffee at all. I love the smell of coffee, but I don't like the taste. So I'm a tea drinker.
0: So you're perfect for England because they have afternoon tea. <laughs>
1: They do, yeah.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank your time. You. Have a good, have a good Thank night. You. Bye.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening. If you haven't done so, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And follow us at hashtag Zada Show to stay connected. I am Naska Zada, and until next episode, bye for now.